Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the LSAT Pros podcast. This is Steve Schwartz from the LSAT blog. And I'm Graham Blake from LSAT Hacks. And today we're bringing you a special episode focused on LSAT reading comprehension. We organized several questions and we're just going to run through them all related to LSAT reading comp. So here's the first one. Students asking, how should I approach the reading comp section? I've been reading the passage once as fast and focused as I can then moving on to questions and trying to locate the answer within the paragraph. I thought annotations were a waste of time. Is that true? So there's a couple contradictions here. Reading fast and focused, which seem to somewhat be at odds with each other. You want to read fast, but you also want to absorb as much detail as you can, at least related to the main idea. So there's a lot of questions within this, but I think ultimately my, my recommendation to the student would be slow down a bit and at least try to walk away with the main idea. Annotations are a separate question we can get to later, but I thought at least thinking about approaching the section or the passage specifically is a good starting point to dial in on this one. Yeah, I tend to think the same thing. Like I'm I'm reading as fast as I can, but my priority is understanding. And so as fast as I can needs to be taken in the context of when I don't understand something, I slow down and I read it again. So, you know, if everything makes sense to me in a passage, I just read it once through and that's it. But usually, because they're pretty dense material, I will be slowing down in some sections. I'll be rereading some sections. And as I go, I'm also trying to think like, what's the main idea of this passage, uh, of this paragraph? What's the main idea of that paragraph? How did they head together? What's the main idea of everything? And I'm just trying to answer like some some questions for myself as I go and think like, what does the author think? What sort of person are they? What else might they think? Um, and I'm thinking about a lot of stuff. And so fast is in context of the job that is to be done and often is not that fast in the hardest spots. Yeah, I think on the LSAT, time pressure is a given because we have the 35-minute time constraint always looming over us. So that's not even a a question that you want to go fast. But I think students too often try to go too fast because of the pressure associated with getting to the questions. This also comes up in logical reasoning. Students will skim the stimulus without thoroughly understanding it to go on to the question. I think the same might be going on for this student here as well. And so I would encourage this person to actually take a step back slow down and ask themselves the sorts of guiding questions that that you brought up, Graham, about the author's attitude, the author's tone, the author's point, what's the primary purpose. At least the big picture things, you want to be able to walk away from your initial read with those. Annotations may help, they may not. Of course, that's going to change with the LSAT going digital later this year. You won't be able to annotate on on the passage in any meaningful way that I'd recommend. You can highlight and you can underline, but you can't really make notes or annotations. And so, at least as I think about them. So they may not be a waste of time, but you also want to be concise with them. What do you rec- What do you think about notations, Graham? Uh, can I, I just want to say one more thing about like reading speed first before yeah. I get to that. So there's a way you can self-assess if you're reading too fast or not, or if you're reading thoroughly enough or not. And that's to like avoid the this big error because i found when i taught lsec classes you know i'd ask people like all right so what was in paragraph three and i'd call on the student 
or you know even like a student volunteer and then they would just literally read paragraph three and that's not what you need to know when you're thinking about the passage because when you're looking at the questions you're quite obviously not looking at the passage you're looking away from it so you need to have the knowledge from the passage in your head in order to bring it to bear on the question you need to actually have it in a usable form that you can think about when you're looking at the question if all you can do to answer what's in paragraph three is read paragraph three aloud then you know nothing about what's in paragraph three so the way you can test this is like print out a second copy uh give it to a friend have them read everything first so that they know the gist and then you read it uh, and you can time yourself doing this read like you know as long as you think it's comfortable or as read the amount of time you think it takes then you turn over to passage and just have your friend like ask you about the stuff that's in it and see how you do in terms of answering their questions and you can do this repeatedly and this uh forces you to test your level of retention of the passage in a way that isolates that skill because if you're just looking at the questions and looking back to the passage you can sort of paper over deficiencies but if you're just being quizzed on something and you can't look at it that really exposes where you have just totally forgotten some things and it can refine this that's a great exercise graham and i think it comes down to achieving the goal of getting the student to paraphrase it putting it in your own words if you can't put it in your own words then you don't truly understand it and one thing that i've been having my students do for a while is actually write out their own explanations detailing their thought processes about a passage to make sure that they thoroughly understand it. I was doing this with a student just the other day with um, the dental caries passage from, I believe, test 62, with uh, talking about dental cavities and agriculture and carbohydrates and all that. And not the most difficult passage, but not the easiest one either. And difficult terminology can be a layer of abstraction to make it more difficult. And so if you can simplify it for yourself, put it in your own words, then you can prove to yourself that you thoroughly understand. And so if you have a friend, that's great. If not, if you don't have a friend, you can just write it out. Either way is good, but put it in your own words, I think is ultimately the name of the game here. I think you just expressed the plight of the LSAT student. Like, you know, if you've got a friend, yeah. Like, like yes, you know, yes. This, this, if, whole, this, whole, this whole LSAT <laughs> studying thing like really isolates you from your social group. And like, hopefully you've still got some friends left, but this may not be true at this point and you're in too deep and there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you don't have a friend, write it down or you could even make a video. You could send it to us. We'll be happy to review it for you. <laughs> we love the LSAT. We're happy to hear about it. Yeah. Um, for, I think that's a good idea. I've definitely recommended explanations and or like writing explanations. And obviously it helped me like a ton writing all the ones that I did. Um, it really forced me to understand the structure of the passages at a deeper level when you're. Yeah, it's like the next level down the yeah. rabbit hole. As for annotations, I think they're a waste of time unless you've got the kind of brain that they help in which case they're not a waste of time um and i'll expand on this <laughs> but basically for me i never annotated so why would i annotate on the lsat um but i noticed that when i was in school some people had textbooks that were covered in writing and i'm assuming that these people did it because it helped them in some way and that they weren't just fools writing words that were like slowing them down in their studies so if you're the kind of person who had a textbook full of words then probably it was helping you and so probably it will help you on the LSAT and if you never did that then I don't really see a reason to start yeah the thing with annotations it's funny because I mean there you would think that they help people and 
it makes sense that they would help people because people do it a lot and because there's a whole industry of people selling highlighters and things of that nature. But I noticed for myself, at least in college, that underlining and highlighting felt good. And it feels like as you move the pen or the highlighter across the page that as you underline something that's actually solidifying or deepening your understanding. But it may not actually do that. I wonder about this, especially with the digital LSAT having a highlighter function that removes the physicality or the underlining function that also removes the physicality. I don't think that making markings on the passage does a whole lot for you. Maybe it would do it for a biology textbook if you're pre-med and you were trying to memorize something, but to me, that's not really what LSAT reading comp is about. I think it's more about just knowing where things are so you can find them when you need to, and maybe noting where the main idea is summarized, if at all, or where the author's opinion is summarized, if at all. And so I also, Graham, I didn't underline or notate either for LSAT reading comp, but I wanted to give students something because people like to have something. So I came up with this really minimal marking system where you just mark in the margins, V for viewpoint, E for evidence, A for advocates, in the margins next to the lines in which those things appear just to give you a little sort of roadmap or snapshot of where to find things when you want to. Of course, this will totally change with the digital LSAT, but I think looking with an eye towards structure is really important. And would you say that system helped them, or would you say it just like prevented them from doing an even more damaging uh, diagramming that would be a big distraction and like just thwarted their negative tendency but wasn't actually you know that helpful in and of itself except for the blocking function? That's a great question, Graham. I, th- I, think, I think there's a lot of truth to it. I think that it, it varies depending on the student. I think some students have found value in it, but for others, it's like they really wanted to write down something and I'm giving them an outlet for that, but I'm also limiting it in a big way. Yeah, because I've also recommended, like, I don't know, write down the main idea of a passage beside a passage and that's the thing you can write. But I sort of have the same views. It's like, well, I don't know if this is really helping, but it's blocking you from doing a harmful thing. Because like it... Yeah, it, it is a good point that you make that like even if you got the kind of brain that like used to like annotations, ask like is this actually helping here? For example, like highlights in a textbook that you might not look at for like three months serve to remind you, oh, this was an important passage. But you're only looking at an LSAT passage for nine minutes, and so that layer of memory doesn't even come into it, and the purpose of it from before may not be present here. Yeah, very true. Very true. You're reading with a different eye here. What do you think about a paragraph-centric approach? A lot of people will say, should I summarize each paragraph as I go on to the next one? It's a really common question. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Like, if you look at the explanations on my site, I do paragraph summaries, and that's sort of how I think about them. Like, I try to condense the paragraphs into a smaller thing that's like a smaller paraphrase but still hits the key points. And I find these fit together really well into making like a cohesive narrative so you can kind of hold the passage in your head if you simplify and reduce them. So I like it. What about some of those? What about some of those uh, really lengthy passages where they have long paragraphs? Where I mean, there might be only two paragraphs for the whole passage. Good question. When I write these out, I usually do it as like I still do like one, two, three, four. And if there's like one long paragraph, it might be three, four instead of three. So, so you're breaking. Yeah, up I'll that try and find paragraph. like a natural break point, and you know there might be like a however in there or something that like indicates a contrast. But I'm not too rigid about like where I choose to divide it. But I, I will still try and and I usually find there's like a point of first half point of second half that you can extract. I'm really glad to hear you say that because one thing I've become very skeptical over the years in terms of LSAC's ability to properly note paragraph breaks. 
I feel like they have these monstrous paragraphs sometimes where there should have been a break, but they failed to include one for whatever devious reason. And so I think if a paragraph is taking up half the page, there's probably one of those splitting points somewhere, like with a however, as you said. In defense of LSAC, I will note that uh, legal cases often have horrendous paragraphs. Yeah. (laughs) So LSAC is just lowering itself to the level of what people can expect in law school. I once read, geez, I think it was a contract. It was like, it was like a sentence was a page or something. I don't know. Like it, <laughs> it feels impossible like describing it, but like I, I'm pretty sure I just like it was a page. It was a sentence. And like, oh geez. <laughs> like, that reminds me of like my last apartment lease. You what? My last oh, apartment yeah. lease. I was reading, trying to be a good lawyer and reading over the whole thing. Yeah. So when they have these monstrous paragraphs, like it might be actually intentional to test for, you know, can you even get through this? <laughs> can you survive with a paragraph? Yeah. Break? No, I, I, I think there's, there's a method to it for sure. There's a reason for it. Yeah. Let's go on to this next question here about speeding up students asking, how do I speed up my time for reading comp and have adequate time to finish all the passages? Well, I recommend the simple method of getting a time machine and going back in time and reading more books like 10 years ago. But if you can't do that, (laughs) then this is a really hard thing to do, unfortunately. It's why reading comp is the hardest section to get better at. That like a lot of it is just based on your baseline reading skill and that's built over your whole lifetime and can't be rapidly improved in like a one to four month study period. But I do have a couple tips I'll say, then I'll pass it over to you, and I probably have some more to say after that. But um, one thing you can do is just to, like, to be really curious about words. Now, the LSAT's not a vocabulary test, so I'm not saying, like, you know, learn all the words you don't know. But, or rather, don't make a list of them. But when you're going through a passage when you're reviewing it, if there's stuff you don't know, keep a dictionary handy. Either a paper one or uh, one on your computer if you have a mac the inbuilt dictionary is actually the oxford dictionary which is a great one you can download the oxford dictionary app and just look up words um be curious about them and this will help you understand like the layers of meaning because uh most people doing the lsat don't know all the words on all the passages they because that's they're written to be at a high difficulty level so you're not doing something silly and embarrassing if you're looking up a word like 95 percent of the people taking the lsat should be looking up if they're aiming for full understanding of the passage, should be looking up words. And I think just this habit of thinking like, gee, I don't know what that is. What's that mean? Um, starts to get you into like the the mode of understanding things. And even without a dictionary, you can ask like, well, is there something I know about this word? Is there something I know about from context? Have I seen this before? Is there like part of the word that I recognize the prefix? And just be curious about words is like one way to speed up your time because a lot of the stumbling blocks are just like, well, you don't know what these words mean, so you can't get through this paragraph in inadequate time. That's an excellent point. I think that one of the things that makes LSAT reading comprehension so difficult, whether you're a native English speaker or not, is that a lot of words are used with their secondary or tertiary definitions. So even even native English speakers have have a tough time with this. And yeah, keeping a dictionary handy, I just will go to Google and type like define X. I was doing this dental caries passage from test 62 the other day, and they used the phrase archaeological record. And we think of the word record, record has a number of meanings, right? It could be like a a record, like from like back in the 60s, people play music on records. It could be to record something like we're recording this podcast right now, or the archaeological record could just be all the evidence they have in archaeology from like digging in archaeological sites and stuff like that. 
And so you have to know the meaning in context, but also consider that any word may have less common uses, that are, where there, which are representing ways we don't use words in everyday speech. Yeah. Like, I don't talk about the archaeological record all the time, but I have to know it when I see it in context. Yeah. Or even a word like dental caries. You know, most of you, when you go to the dentist, they probably said cavity. Um, but then carry is like a more technical term for that, I guess. But, you know, if you're reading, you're, you're talking about like, well, there's a dental carry and it's like a decay in a tooth. You're like, well, what is that? It's probably a cavity. You know, if you're doing this timed on a new passage, like you can look it up afterwards and see that it is, in fact, one and the same. At least I hope it is. And I'm not making a fool of myself in a podcast. But uh, um, in context, in the time, you can try and think like, what might this be? And try and develop theories of words you don't know. Very true. That, that's funny because this, this particular passage, they actually define it. They say dental carries parenthesis and carries is actually C-A-R-I-E-S for those who aren't familiar with it. I had never seen it before, but they put in parentheses decay and in parentheses, they're defining what carries are. And so whenever you see the word carry or carries in that passage, you can just substitute the word decay for yourself to simplify. You want to dumb it down for yourself so that you can read more quickly but even better, when I saw dental caries, parentheses, decay, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's kind of like a cavity, as you said, Graham. So I just thought carry and cavity are pretty similar. And for that reason, it's much easier for me, at least, to substitute the word cavity than to substitute the word decay. And this happens in logical reasoning also. They'll give you a brief definition, but then keep using the more difficult version of the word rather than the simpler version of the word. And I can imagine opposing counsel drafting a contract to try and confuse you with the more difficult terminology when in fact just doing like a find or place on your computer for the simpler word would make it a lot smoother yeah i'm constantly redefining things on the lsat if they've got like a really long thing i'll redefine it to be a shorter thing like i'll, I'll spend the time to think about what is this and then i replace it later when i'm reading yeah constantly substituting and i think that just back to this general question about speeding up, I think for myself, at least part of why I have a certain baseline reading levels, because like Graham said, you know, I, I've been reading a lot my, my whole life and it's never too late to start if you can cycle in more reading into your everyday life rather than Netflix, just substituted with an, even a novel or something would be useful. But I agree that a one to four month timeline isn't that long. So I, I would say ultimately, yeah, cultivating a habit of looking up tough vocabulary words that are used in less common ways is is probably the the biggest thing you can do then you can also get more comfortable with with the sorts of dense or abstract topics they love to bring up repeatedly on the lsat like for example the concepts of objectivism and subjectivism philosophical concepts come up again and again and again on the lsat and maybe your example won't have it maybe it's only come up maybe half a dozen or 10 times over the years, but that's often enough that it's worth taking 10 minutes to read about it on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being curious about topics as well as being curious about words is a good thing. Like looking up topics on hard passages and reading a bit around them because stuff's tied together too. You know, if you, if the pass one passage is about carries and there's a bit about evolution in there, like knowing about evolution is going to be handy in a bunch of cases. And uh, you should like, the more you just have like a wide network of knowledge, the easier some passages are. Not because it gives you answers to questions, but because it gives you context to understand what's being said. Yeah, and that'll improve your comfort level. And then when you see this topic, at least you can you can 
frame it within your previous understanding. And of course, you don't need to have previous understanding. And so no passage will ever require that you know something outside already about evolution or dental decay or whatever it may be. But those, the familiarity can still help. And that's an, maybe that's an unfair advantage because it can help you speed up, but so be it. I'd say you have the time, your LSAT's not today, I hope. So you have the time to go and gain some familiarity to help yourself improve next time you come across that topic. Yeah, one other thing that people often recommend and I recommend is The Economist magazine because this, I think, is the thing that comes closest to the writing style and topic style of um, the stuff on the LSAT. And the specific sections, if you were just going to read some of it, would be the science articles, the historical or like book reviews where they like talk about biography or history. Like most of the most of the section is politics and you don't really need that. Um, then there's some on economics, which like is relevant, but also it's just there's like far too much of it compared to the amount you would find on the LSAT. Um, but depending on like your personal interest level, I recommend reading this as in, you know, if you're the sort of person who's like somewhat interested in politics, economics and a wide variety of topics, then just reading The Economist every week, if you're studying for four months or so, like that actually will get you like a much better like baseline knowledge of the world and reading familiarity. If reading The Economist is like pulling teeth for you, then uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend just reading the whole thing, but you could read like the science section each week and maybe the book book review section each week because that's like the the most targeted area towards the LSAT. Um, you know, that there's a couple of schools of thought on this. Some people say like, well, just read reading comp sections to practice, but like there's, there's only so many reading comp sections and sitting down and doing a time practice is different from sitting and reading a magazine which can be more of a leisure activity or something you can do in the bus or, or whatever. So like the economist in downtime, if it's like somewhat relaxing can be a good thing to fill in instead of Netflix. That's a really good point. Yeah. I'm, I've always been hesitant to recommend the economist for that reason that, well, there's hundreds of passages. Why not just do those? But yeah, I agree that if you're like on the bus, on your commuter, you're winding down at night opening up a passage may not be the most appealing thing, especially if you feel an obligation to do the questions associated. And it's just occurring to me now, but one reason I think The Economist might be a good source of reading material is that it's, if you're especially the science section, for example, The Economist is not a magazine for scientists, but it's taking scientific concepts and applying them to college or grad level educated people. It's presenting them and boiling it down in a way that's not on a, like a second grade reading level, maybe it's like an eighth grade reading level level or a seventh grade reading level on like the flesh Kincaid scale, something like that, for example. So I think it it's translating it to, into layman's terms, but educated layman's terms. And I think a book review performs a similar function. That is exactly why I recommend it. Because, you know, sometimes you see like, oh, read like popular science magazine or nature magazine or something, but those are meant for people who are interested in science. And so if you're not interested in science, then... I mean, sure, if you read it every week for a year, you would get good science passages, but it's a different audience. And I think you can get better faster at like the science and the general history stuff by reading the economist stuff, because it's the same targeting as the LSAC passages, which are aimed at the non-expert who's like college educated. And you need to have uh, and the college expert who's not who's college educated needs to have some sort of general baseline understanding in a particular topic to be able to absorb an arbitrary, unfamiliar topic 
for a particular instance. Let's say that you're a patent attorney. You don't need to know all the details of genetics, but you need to have at least a passing understanding if you're going to present or argue in favor of something related to that topic. And you can call the expert witness who's a scientist to provide all the details, but you need to at least know what questions to ask them. Yeah, and I would never do it now, but in college, I read The Economist for at least a couple of years, just like weekly, cover to cover. And I really think that that did help my reading comprehension when I did the LSAT. Like, it was never a challenge for me understanding most passages because I just had this broad baseline. Now, you know, three months is not two years. And again, with the caveat that if it bores you to tears, don't force through this. That's not what I'm saying because, like, I actually enjoyed it. So <laughs> that's that's part of the point. If it bores you to tears, you may as well just do reading comp um, and maybe look at the science articles. Um, but if it's mildly, at least mildly engaging for you, it can be very useful. Or just read something else. Just read something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like just adding more reading in, whatever you enjoy reading. And then, you know, maybe bump it up a little to the edge of your abilities. So like something uh, like, as in if you read blogs all the time now, then just reading more blogs isn't like what'll do it. Or if you read Twitter all the time, reading more Twitter isn't what'll do it. But read something like, what you enjoy doing, but a bit harder. And that'll that'll help if done over a period of a few months. And maybe something longer form rather than listicles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just find that a very funny word. Yeah, um, it's a good one. All right, a couple other things to save time. One is actually going slower, but this, this ties into what we said in the first question. But basically, if you rush through the passage, you're just not going to have a baseline of understanding and you go longer through the questions. I find even like 40 more seconds invested on reading the passage can save more than that amount of time on the questions. So to give people a benchmark, what do you think is a good target to move on to the questions? Uh, less than four minutes, but then it depends. It depends on what you need to understand. Because like, I have just read so much, I can often read a new passage in like 60 seconds, usually less than two minutes but I would not recommend that as a target because I'm just blazing fast and that's the amount of time that it takes me because I read and read and read and read and read my whole life. Um, what I think is, you know, up to about a four minute point, you should just go at the speed it takes you to fully understand and that'll probably be optimal. I mean, even beyond, you know, if you, if you need six minutes to fully understand, doing it in four isn't necessarily going to help because you just may go slower on the questions, but you're just in a tough point at that point. And like your, your reading skill is the bottleneck and there's no, like there's no time target. that will fix it per se. Yeah. I think if, if it's taking you six minutes to understand it, then maybe you're in a place where you only want to attempt three passages and be satisfied with less than perfection on reading comp. Exactly. But, but four minutes, I could see four minutes being okay. I personally recommend typically two and a half to three minutes max, because at that point you're already giving yourself just under a minute per question. And I think you really don't want to shave into that any further. Yeah. I think that's a good target, but with a caveat that if someone's like, you know, rushing to get into two minutes and 50 seconds, and then if it took them three minutes, 40 seconds, but they like had a massively better understanding, it's worth like testing and timing and, you know, you can, you can just run a little timer and see like how long did it take reading? How long did it take in questions? And just do that a few times and see like what the trade-off is. Because if you take 50 seconds more and you just go no faster on the questions, then, well, that was a waste. 
Um, but if it speeds you up on the questions, it may be good. And you need to kind of experiment yourself with these trade-offs. You want to think about those extra 40 seconds, what were you doing? Were you just going over the same things again and again? Or were you actually deepening your understanding of a particularly sticky point in the passage? And yeah, I agree. I wouldn't obsess over, is it, well, I went three minutes and 10 seconds. That was too long. Have to cut it down. Like you don't need to obsess over the exact timing. These are just rough ballparks and it'll also vary based on the passage itself. Yeah. In fact, I would like, I would target understanding and then see how much time that takes. Because like you said, it's no good to just like be reading stuff because Tudor said spend more time in the passage and it'll help. Um, if you're not like understanding more at a deeper level, then you should just be moving on. But like if you take the time you need to understand fully, then it's more likely to be efficient. Yeah. And also consider that not all passages are of equal difficulty. Yeah. Maybe some passages you'll spend 12 minutes on the passage and associated questions and that's fine. And then another passage you were able to solve in a couple minutes less than the average. Yeah, very good point. Um, far too forgotten on both reading comp and logic games and even logical reasoning that like you should not be spending a uniform amount of time on easy and hard stuff. You should be spending less time on easy, more time on hard. And so the amount of time you spend on a passage depends on how hard it is. And one thing that's easy to forget, you think like, okay, well, this is hard, so I can spend four and a half minutes on it. But that also means on easy stuff, you've got to be spending like, Two minutes, a minute 45, something like that. that that's where you get the, the time to spend more time on the hard stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Let's look at the next question. I've noted that a lot of questions are similar to that of LR, logical reasoning, and I've worked to try and translate passages to more of a formula rather than that of content. Is there a way to translate some of the deductive methods in logical reasoning to that of reading comp? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't read LR as a formula, so I would need to know more about what they mean by formula because this doesn't really sound like what I do for LR or RC. Um, and I would say I don't use the deductive methods except when it's like a LR-type question, and then I think, oh, well, I'm in an LR mode on this one, and then I'm doing it. But I don't know. Do you have other thoughts? Yeah, for the most part, I think that reading comprehension is is not formulaic. I, can, I can't really think of many, if any, examples of reading comprehension where I would make symbolic logic diagrams and conditionality and things of that nature. And logical reasoning as well. Most of logical reasoning is not deductive. Only really a handful of questions are. So I don't, I don't think that a formulaic approach for reading comprehension would work well. What I notice on reading comprehension more so is, is nuance. I think it's really important to look for nuance and look for subtleties. And that is actually, I think, somewhat contrary to a formulaic approach. It's not black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very nuanced. Um, one thing that does occur to me, similarity between LR and RC modes of reading, is that on LR, you're usually looking for a conclusion, which is like, you know, what are they saying? Why are they saying it? This is also present on RC, but I find people don't look for it enough. They often just like miss the opinions that the author has. But there are some words like however that indicate like, oh, the author is giving their opinion now. Or if the author uses an adjective, you know, if they say like they've written like a complex work, that's usually intended as a compliment and means the author likes what the person has done. So like look for any positive or negative adjectives and just try and think like what's the author saying? And not all reading comprehension passages are arguments, but a lot of them do have a sort of conclusion and implied conclusions throughout um, that you need to be looking for, just as you would on an LR. 
Exactly. And you know, another thing to look for is prescriptive language. If the if the if someone says should and there's no person behind that opinion, that's probably the author's opinion. Yeah. So any sort of should or principle related language, that could be an indication of the author's opinion. And so if you have an eye towards those sorts of words, that can help you think more about it and not re- moving away from the content more towards towards attitudes or, or viewpoints. The other thing I could say about logical reasoning and similarity to reading comp is in the questions. When you with this person saying the questions are similar to that of LR, I'm thinking of some of the tougher reading comp questions that are like strengthen or weaken or parallel. And we've discussed this in the past, Graham, but I think that you get better at those just by getting better at the related logical reasoning question types. But of course, yep. recognizing that these are going to be harder because there's more source material to potentially refer back to. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much just that. I don't have like the, and also the LR reading comp things are recent enough that like, I don't have a big data set of like, you know, how students approach them and so on. Like if we get, you know, 20 more tests where they're doing more and more LR type questions in RC, then we may have something more formal. But for now, we're just stuck at like, well, get better at the parallel strength and whatever to get better at those on, on RC. Yeah, and recognize that those are likely going to be harder. Maybe you want to save them for last because they're going to be the most time-consuming. And, of course, everything is worth the same. But, of course, practice them when you come across them. I'm thinking in particular of the one of the most difficult passages, the Chinese talk story passage with Maxine Hong Kingston from one of the exams in the 50s. There's a really tough parallel or analogy question there. And I wouldn't say I have a magic trick for that sort of thing. It's really just about the source material thoroughly understanding what they're referring to in the passage and that takes time okay the next question is how do i improve in speed and accuracy in reading comprehension we already covered speed so or at least i think uh, i don't yeah, i like, think we have yeah no, let's, let's uh, hit the accuracy part yeah so my number one tip here is get quick and habitual at checking stuff in the passage i guess it does apply to speed too because basically um you can waste a lot of time on questions going back in between answers when really like one of them is in the passage or contradicts the passage and you can just go back and check that so if you form a mental map of the passage when you're reading it thinking like you know roughly these details in paragraph one roughly these details are in paragraph two so when something comes up in a question you only have to scan one of the sections to find it then this really improves accuracy because unlike NLR, you can often just point to a line and says, well, it says the answer right there. On the hardest questions, this isn't true, but on a lot of questions it is, and this both speeds you up and ensures accuracy if you can avoid wasting time between answers and if you can just be 100% sure about it by finding it, that can avoid mistakes. Yeah, scanning for line references, I think, is, is the, biggest, the biggest takeaway there. There's always support in the text so go back and find it and this is something you can drill too like you know a lot of people say like well i can't do that it takes a while um but you can actually specifically practice this you know you could just again with a friend have uh one of them have a passage you have it and then you've read it and then the friend asks like where did they talk about like you know spiny mollusks and then you go and you find the reference for them and then they ask about some other thing and you find that and then they ask about some other thing and you find that and you see how long on average it takes you to find a thing. 
And if it's taking you 45 seconds, then you need to work on that. And if it's taking you like under 10 seconds, then it's pretty good. And if it's somewhere in between, then just, you know, track wherever you start and then try and get faster on average at finding the random stuff they're asking about. And then you're actually practicing this skill so you don't face this dilemma of like, do I have time to look back? Because it's actually faster to look back now that you've trained it. Yeah, no, that's a great idea just as an exercise scanning through it. But one thing I want students to think about is like, this isn't just a mental control F to find a particular term. LSAC is really sneaky about using synonymous words and phrases. And so it may not appear with that exact terminology, but the idea may be the same for you to find your support. Oh, very good point. Very good point. You could even like modify the exercise to have like a friend paraphrase a thing and find it. But yeah, that, that's great. Because uh, you're right. I'm not, when I'm scanning for line references, I'm not just scanning for words. I'm scanning for ideas and I know where the ideas are roughly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the key. Do you have any accuracy tips? I think the biggest accuracy thing is where in the passage does it say this? Just looking for line references. Always be able to give a line reference for whatever you're picking. And of course, you want to rely on your memory somewhat. But upon review, I think it's really important to not just say, oh, yeah, I get it now when you see the correct answer, but actually see where in the passage that evidence came from. And you can also look up like where in the passage did like the wrong answers come from because they usually jumble together a couple of parts to make something familiar that as actually wasn't what the passage said. Yeah, very true. And yeah, and I want to be clear like I don't get line references for everything, but it's like a thing you can have in your toolkit. And when you're at risk of making a mistake, is when it's most useful. Yeah. Okay. Next person asks: I'm currently averaging minus four wrong in every RC section I take. Though I am content with this number, how would you advise closing the gap to minus two or even minus one? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends like what sort of mistakes are happening and why are they happening? Because when you're down to a number that low, you can actually like individually analyze the mistakes. And also you want to like one thing you also want to analyze, you know, like where there's some questions where you're guessing between two. So there were actually, it's, it's, it's not minus six, but there were like six questions that are worth review instead of four questions. But it's still a low enough number that you can actually individually analyze and try and make like a, a reason for like what caused this mistake and how do I address it? Yeah, I was going to go there also. If someone's getting minus four, they have a solid foundation, of course. Like they're doing better than most people, which is great. But four wrong means there could have been six to eight that the student had trouble with. And so there's maybe seven questions to review per section of reading comp. And that's, that's not a tremendous amount. That's totally doable. And so I'd say I'd, I'd want that student to review all seven they had difficulty with. But as for how you close the gap, I mean, at that point, it's not any fundamental lack of understanding as a whole about reading comp. It's more just the idiosyncrasies of those particularly difficult questions. And maybe the questions wrong are grouped. Maybe there's a particular passage that gave the student trouble, or maybe they're just random. But either way, I'd say very detailed review is is what to do at this point. Yeah. And that and you is can also especially... Ask... Go, Go ahead. ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you can also ask, like, is there a habit that would have prevented this? Because some things are just random, but there may be, like, a couple of underlying skills that would take you, like, you know, one or two points higher uh, over the average. And maybe that could be a, a lack of understanding something thoroughly enough. Maybe there's a particular paragraph in a passage that a student glossed over where two questions f derived from. 
So that could have been an issue, or maybe it's just really tempting wrong answer choices. And so analyzing your patterns and your mistakes for what sort of things you tend to fall for. Yeah, exactly. So if you know you were glossing over too much, then the solution is like spend a little bit more time and try and cultivate the sense of like, hey, I don't understand this and I should go back over it rather than just pushing through. Yeah. All right, let's look at the next one. I'm trying my hardest to improve on RC, but I feel like I just space out or I'm too slow. Do you recommend anything? I'm thinking I, on my review days, I do either an extra game section to practice or an extra reading comp section to practice. All right, so spacing out, being too slow. Spacing out, that, that is a, a big issue. These passages can get pretty boring sometimes. And I'd say try to try to find a way to make it more interesting for yourself. I love to caricature or exaggerate the different viewpoints in a passage just for myself to increase my engagement. I'll oftentimes try to oversimplify things for myself just as, a, just as an exercise to make the differing viewpoints more clear or to make the topics easier to hold on to. And I'll do this with, I can do this with any given topic. And one example from earlier, the dental caries thing, that was unfamiliar to me. So I substituted cavities to make it more real. And then I thought, okay, well, then that passage is about um, carbohydrates and agriculture. And so I was thinking about like people eating carbs and then having teeth rotting from eating too much candy or something like that. And obviously the passage was talking about other things, but that was a way for me to make it more relatable. Yeah, I guess like my personal approach is I try and like, I want to understand what the author is saying. And I make that the goal rather than like finishing the passage or anything. It's more like a puzzle. Um, and I also am like, I'm just genuinely curious about most topics. So I try and think, I try and focus on like, oh, what I'm learning here, what's new here. But like, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to give advice on this because like I never really had a problem with spacing out on text. And so I never had to overcome this. One thing I might suggest to the student is to ask anyone else they're studying with or ask on a forum or something like, hey, people that like spaced out an RC and now don't, what did you do? Because in other words, like this is, and I don't know, well, actually, Steve, did you like typically when reading stuff, did you space out or were you the kind of person that could just read a thing without spacing out? No, I mean, I've always liked reading in general, but I liked fiction. As growing up, I was always really into fiction because it's stories, it's more engaging for me. But and so reading comp passages, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I still find them boring at first glance. I have to trick myself to stay engaged by doing what I said, by, by caricaturing them, by yeah. exaggerating the viewpoints or oversimplifying them. Yeah. Okay, good. So what you want is to get advice from people like Steve that have the same issue. And, but also like every brain is different. So, uh, Steve's experience may work for like, I don't know, 30% of people that space out and then maybe the other 70% have like some other solution. And so just like get feedback from people that had your problem and then fixed your problem and then try out those methods and see which work. Like one thing some people have told me they do is they just sort of like underline everything, not for like any sort of notes or whatever, but it's simply to prevent spacing out. Um, and that's like anything and I actually when I read online I'll tend to like highlight stuff with my mouse for like no good reason um is something I've noticed I do so I guess like basically you've got an issue get some feedback from people who had the issue and who overcame it and know that like if someone is giving advice about the issue like me 
um, <laughs> but they never had it. Their advice may not be as useful as advice like Steve's, who, you know, he actually had it. So then his advice will presumably be helpful for at least like a chunk of people with the same issue. Yeah, no, no one method will work for everybody, but I think that you've got to, you got to try out different things and don't give up. There, there are a variety of different tricks out there for staying engaged. Mine's only one of them, but I think that a combination of getting some baseline familiarity with the most common topics that come up on the LSAT can be helpful, whether it's specific topics like objectivism or subjectivism or more broadly like natural sciences or social sciences. That combined with, again, oversimplifying them just for your own engagement purposes. And then as for going too slow to handle the other side of that question, I think that comes a lot of that just comes down to practice and then also forcing yourself not to get bogged down on the, on the details. I think we could, we could hit that one a bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just one other thing I wanted to say about spacing out, which is we've yeah. talked on other episodes about like mindfulness. This can be a good thing to get out of it because spacing out is usually, you know, you're thinking about some other thing. So if you find yourself thinking about some other thing, then you just focus on your breath for a couple of seconds and then you transfer that focus back to the text. Yeah, very true. I think that bringing up that idea of focus, I think ultimately it's a matter of self-control. Like reading passages is hard. And so it's easier to space out and think about other things, or it's even easier to stress out even though it's not desirable. And so training yourself to focus on the task at hand, given that you do have this time constraint to consider. You, you, it's a muscle that you can build over time where, of course, the mind, is, the mind is struggling, the mind is sad because this is tough, but forcing yourself to still stay engaged in the moment because the LSAT's only gonna the LSAT's gonna be over in a couple hours anyway. So if you can just make it through this last little bit, you'll be good. Bring yourself yeah. back to that idea. Yeah. So you talked about not getting bogged down. Um, one tip I have is to think that like you know you should always be doing something and moving forwards. So if you're on a hard question, you don't have to finish the question. A lot of people will get something hard and then they'll just eventually spin their wheels and like just keep staring at the question and like doing nothing. When you get to that point, you should either be like, you know, looking back to the passage to find a line reference or just skip it and do some other question and then come back to it later. Like it, you know, if you don't waste a minute and a half on a question, then you can use that minute and a half to look at it after the fact. Because people sometimes say like, well, I don't have time to like come back to the questions, but you will logically have any time that you didn't waste to either do new questions, which is just as effective or come back to it, but just sitting and spinning your wheels and like staring at something because you feel like you have to finish it is not optimal. And so you can save a lot of time by just knowing when you're doing nothing useful and skipping. Yeah. And that's also a matter of self-control. Cut your losses, move on, save that time for something else where it could be more productive. Yeah. Do you have anything else about like going too slow or should we go on to the next one? I think we should we should or wrap we, up with the right, we, should, yeah. we could yeah, we could wrap up with the last one. Which one's that? We could wrap up with this last one here about um, the main point. Someone's asking. Yeah. I've been outlining the main point in each paragraph, and then I reread the entire passage. Do you think I'm wasting time by approaching the passage this way? So this comes back to the idea of the question of the paragraph centric approach. 
so we hit on that a bit. I think I guess the the takeaway would be that there are there could be a main point for each paragraph, but there could also be multiple within a single paragraph. Would you agree? Yeah, like when I summarize a passage, it's often a main point, but then there may also be some details I want to have in the summary. Um, but like I think this is like potentially good. Uh, it, it's sort of subjective because like you know, well done, this is a good method. Poorly done, this is a bad method. Um, and you have to kind of ask yourself, like, how much time am I spending doing this? And this is helping. I would agree with that. I think that you may find that extracting the main point in this way is useful for you because it orients you as to what the major viewpoints are. But if, on the other hand, you're obsessing over what that main point actually is, then, of course, it could be counterproductive in the end. So I think, like any technique, you should just experiment with it and see if it works for you. Yeah, good point about obsessing, too. Like, you know, while I generally look for the points of paragraphs, I'm not a zealot about it. And if I'm not getting anything, as long as I feel I understand, like whatever, I don't, it's not something like, you know, on logic games, like you need to have the diagrams, but on reading comp, it's like, well, this is usually helpful, but like, it's not, I don't always do the same thing every time. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Uh, all, all right, right Graham. Well, so, I think that's it for now. Uh, what's the best yeah. way for students to reach you, Graham? So my site is lsathacks.com and the best way to get in touch is to follow me on Instagram and that's Graham underscore Blake. That's G-R-A-E-M-E underscore Blake on Instagram. And my site is the LSAT blog and the best way to connect with me is on YouTube at youtube.com slash LSAT blog. Yeah, so that's LSAT blog dot blogspot.com, right? Yeah, correct. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Till next time.